Anyway, we, we started this three weeks ago, and I feel like it's been a powerful series. I feel like it's something that has completely uh, been a part of my life. I feel like people in this church uh, have kind of been asking God the same question through things that are going on. Um, oh God, where art thou? And that's the, the, back of the question, first of all, that Habakkuk raised uh, a couple weeks ago because the, Judah, the, the nation that he's living in, has completely wandered away from God. There's violence, there's turmoil, and he wants to know, God, where are you? What are you doing with all this? Or it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like you're here. And through that question and answer time from God uh, with Habakkuk, we, we learned these three things. The first is we looked at is that God has a plan. God had a plan for how he was going to deal with the nation of Judah, but God also has a plan for your life. And God has a plan for our nation. Uh, he, and God already has these things figured out. Uh, God is in control of that plan. He doesn't just make a wish and say, boy, this is what I want to do. And I, I gave the illustration that made a few people chuckle about, I have this plan to go home and take a nap after church and how that could get interrupted because somebody could stop by my house or the fact that I already took a nap in church made it hard to sleep later. Uh, but that's not the kind of God, plan that God has. He has a plan that he is going to bring to completion. He is going to accomplish it. It is a guarantee. God has set something in motion. He has some destination he wants to reach with it, and he is going to do it. So that was God. Where art thou? Then God gives his answer to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is still surprised at what God is thinking. And it's, it's almost as if he's asking, God, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? God, are you sure you know what you are doing? Because what God wants to do is he wants to use a... A Gentile, terrible army to invade Judah to punish the people of, of Judah and haul them off to Babylon as their punishment. And Habakkuk asked God, I don't understand. How could you use such an awful nation to do that to your people? And through that lesson last week, we, we came up with three answers that apply to us as well. God told Habakkuk to wait on the Lord. I've got this plan. It's going to happen. Just relax and wait for it. And when we want to ask God why, we can remember God has a plan and we can just wait. The second thing is what God told Habakkuk to do is the righteous are going to live by faith. And we saw that Habakkuk is that guy. He's a guy who says, okay, I'm going to live by faith in spite of what's going on around me. I'm going to live by faith in spite of what is coming. But God also reminds Habakkuk that those guys who are doing the wrong thing are going to get their due. They are going to reap what they sow which is the same with us. We looked at five different areas last week of how the wicked are going to reap what they sow and how we need to be the righteous who are going to live by faith. And today, we come up with the uh, Habakkuk's response to this. Oh God, I will trust you. Habakkuk is left with, I'm sure I'm mindful of questions, uh, of fear of how this is going to turn out, but he says, God, I'm going to trust you anyway. And today we are asked the same question because we go through struggles in life and we don't understand. And sometimes we have the possibility of trying to fix things on our own, but it's not the right timing. And so the question we are going to be asked of ourselves today is, are you going to trust God in spite of whatever is going on around you? I want to pray and ask God that he helps us to understand that, and that he helps us to trust him uh, even when times get crazy. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you put up with people like me, 
We want to ask God, uh, where are you when it doesn't seem like you were there? And God, what are you doing when it doesn't feel like you're doing what I want you to do or it doesn't feel like you're doing anything at all? God, I, I thank you for your patience and, and directing me and guiding me to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And God, I know that you're trying to teach us this message uh, through, this, through the scripture, and I pray that we would all get it, that they wouldn't just be words on a page, but there is something we could take to heart and remember uh, throughout our lives for as long as we live, God, that you are trustworthy and we can rely on you to do what is best according to your will. I just pray that your message is shared clearly and accurately in the next half hour or so. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just did something that a preacher should never do. I just said about a half an hour. <laughs> I'm not limiting myself. It actually is 40 minutes until 12. So, I mean, hopefully it will. Anyway, I just realized that was a dumb thing to say. Okay. So, uh, Habakkuk is asking God the question. Uh, he's asked God the question, where art thou? Uh, where, um, he's, he said, you know what? I'm, are you sure? And I was saying, God, I'm going to trust you. And we need to be able to have that same kind of trust. But what was it that gave Habakkuk that kind of confidence? What was it that allowed him to say, in spite of all that is coming, I'm going to trust you? Because what Habakkuk has is what you need, and it's exactly what I want to have as well. He has confidence, and we're going to look at the two things that gives Habakkuk confidence that no matter what is going on around him, that he can trust God. The first thing that he gives us, is, uh, is the, the advice to remember God's faithfulness from the past. If I want to succeed in the future, if I want to have confidence for the future, I need to be able to look to the past and say, what did God do then in order to remember how faithful that he was and know that he's going to be faithful to my life now? Now, I'm not going to read all 16 verses straight through. Um, I'm just going to read parts of them, uh, of God's answer to Habakkuk about making sure that he remembers the things in the past. But Habakkuk, in this passage, the 16 verses, he points out various different things that are trustworthy about who God is. The, um, in verse 2, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. He knows all sorts of examples of how great God is. He wrote 16 verses down. He could have wrote down all of Scripture had he had it, because there are so many examples of God proving his faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness from the past. I'm just going to point out three of these, even though there are more. The first one I want to point out is verse 5. He says, plagues went before him, pestilence followed his steps. And that's referring to the time when the people of, uh, God's people were in Egypt. And there's all sorts of... Uh, they're, they're, they're slaves, they don't like it, and God sends Moses to go and get his people out of Egypt. And the, the people are afraid to go, Pharaoh doesn't want them to go, and so they start having this kind of, this fight where we have God taking on the gods. The God of heaven taking on all the gods of Egypt. He, he mows them down one by one, and there's ten different gods that God puts this little competition up between him, himself and those gods. And he comes out the victor. He has the ten plagues when he turns the water into blood. There's the frogs. There's the lice and the gnats. There's the flies. There's the livestock. Uh, uh, competition with the god of the hail, of locusts, of darkness. And ultimately, he takes out the firstborn son of the people of Egypt. That's something that all the people who hear that are going to know. It's information that's 
happened in the past and it's been passed on from generation to generation about how good God is, how faithful God is. The second one follows shortly on the heels of that. It's the story of when uh, the people were trying to leave Egypt uh, back in Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 to 28. The people have been excused to leave Egypt, and then the Pharaoh changed his not mind and says, you know what, I, I made a mistake. I want all those people to come back. And they're, they're trapped at the sea, and they're afraid, and they don't know what they're going to do. And then God, does, he comes through. Because God's goal is to take them to the promised land. He's going to let nothing stop him from having, having that take place. Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. It says, And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove back the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Well, guess what the Egyptians thought they were going to do? Looks handy. We're just going to follow these people straight through, and we are going to capture them and bring them back, which I don't understand. There's a miracle that's taking place. Obviously, God is doing something. I don't know what possessed them to think that they were going to make it to, but they decided to try. And God came through again. It says, verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the water swept them into the sea. The waters flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of the Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. None of them survived. Obviously a major example of God's faithfulness. He got him out of Egypt and then he didn't just say, okay, you're on your own. He says, I'm going to get you there. And he led them through uh, the, the sea. He took, he covered it back up. He wiped out their enemies. And a, a true and a, a complete example of God's faithfulness. Then there's another one, uh, verses 8 through 10. Or, I mean, I'm sorry. Let's see, read verse 11. It says, The sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. And this refers back to Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Another example of God's faithfulness to his people. Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. It says, On that day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ejelon, till the sun stood still and the moon stopped, till the nations avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jeshur, the sun stopped in the middle of the day and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to the man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. These are big events in their past where they say, I saw God being faithful. Those things didn't just happen. They weren't just some kind of fluke or some kind of accident. God was clearly doing something. And this whole passage is full of examples that they would look back and say, yes, God is faithful. I can look in the past scriptures to see what God did. I know that I can count on God for the future. They should remember God's faithfulness from the past of scriptures. Guess what I should do? 
I should remember God's faithfulness from Scripture. Those examples that we just saw, you know, we can look back and say, man, that happened in the Bible. That was so long ago. But that's what Habakkuk is doing. All that stuff happened before he was around. But yet he's pointing back and saying, look what Scripture says. God was faithful then. God will be faithful now. Uh, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn. Romans 15, chapter 4. Uh, this isn't a one of us, kids. You want a head start? Probably Taven. Uh, he's really good at learning verses. Uh, Romans 15, 4. This is what's coming on Wednesday. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. And they're referring to the Old Testament. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's why part of why we have the Old Testament, why we have scripture as a whole. And so, first of all, we can learn example, or we can learn from other people's failures. We can learn from other people's successes, what they, what they should have done, what they didn't do, how I should change my life based off of that. It's not just bedtime stories. It's not just something that I get paid to share. It's something that God wants us to know so that we learn from it. But also that we gain hope, that we gain uh, courage, that we gain um, whatever it is that we need to get through our day. We see that God was faithful to those people, that he got them through it. We look and say, you know what? God can be trusted. God will get me through it now. I have a couple examples of scriptures that I, I like that I feel like really prove God's power, God's faithfulness. And um, I would recommend reading them for homework. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 would be a great passage. Um, also, Job 38, we're going to look at a few verses there that talk about uh, God's strength and his power to prove that God has control. Job chapter 38, verses 8 through 11. It says, Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. You think about the Oregon coast. Those waves come day after day, moment after moment, but they can only come as far as God allows it. When there's a tsunami or when there's a tidal wave, it can only go as far as God allows. We don't understand it. We may not like it, but God says, you can come this far. It's not going one drop farther. Not one straight drop is going to go farther than what God allows. So God has control over all of nature. But God has a control over every part of life as well. Uh, back to the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. Uh, Peter is in prison. James, the brother of John, has just been beheaded. And Peter's stuck in jail waiting for the same fate. I think it's just a matter of formality. It's a matter of going through the steps. He's already died. It made uh, James, the brother of John, already died. It made all the people happy. Uh, the king's like, okay, I'm going to do this again. Let's do this. And so he's ready to execute Peter. Well, if you know the story of Peter, he's, he's sleeping there between guards, which is shocking. He's uncomfortable. He knows what's supposed to come, yet he's sleeping because he knows God's got him. He knows God's in control. Yeah, I'm going to die tomorrow, but, you know, I'm just going to sleep anyway. And through that uh, story, an angel wakes him up and says, hey, look, dude, I, un I unlocked your locks. I opened your door. Now go away. Get out of here. Go tell everybody. You know, that you were freed. And people were praying, and he shows up at their house and says, okay, let me in, folks. You know, you prayed. I'm out of here. Let me in. But it just shows that in an impossible situation, God is in control of them. 
And I don't know what kind of a possible situation you're going to have in your life, but God has one for you as well. Uh, and I'm going to share one with mine. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, Romans 8, 28 to 29. First, here's another life-changing verse that gives us hope when all of life seems to be going the opposite of what we want, when it seems to fail, when it seems like God doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, it's a verse you're familiar with. Romans 8, 28 and 29. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And I've shared this before. This was like the, the biggest life-changing verse of my life. I remember being the kid who always worried constantly. I was always afraid of God. I was always afraid of whatever was going on. And I remember that verse sunk into me. Where I remember I was at, at a camp, and I was just out in the parking lot, and it was like, it just hit me. Like, God is going to work this out for my good. It doesn't matter what happens. God's got a reason for this. And from that point on, I've always kept that verse in my mind, and I've had hope. I've had confidence. God's word did for me what it was intended to do. And that's the kind of thing that God wants for you. That's why he gave you scripture. So the first thing, if you want to have confidence when all of life is falling apart, is the first thing is to remember how God was faithful in the past in scripture. But also, remember how God was faithful to you in your past. And you might be thinking off the cuff, I can't think of anything, Josh. Well, hopefully something will come to mind in the next couple of minutes. The biggest example of my life, uh, it, st it, was, it was from this February, and I've already shared this in church, and I already, I already cried during church, so I'm not going to do it again. Um, but it started uh, a year ago when Leslie had MS, or she got it diagnosed with MS, and we started going to the doctors and that sort of thing. Um, and then in, like, about January, February, I woke up in the middle of the night. I remember telling Nikki, or Leslie was telling Nikki about this pain that I had right here, the worst pain of my life. And I went to the ER, and I was there forever trying to get this taken care of, and uh, that's not where the miracle starts yet. Um, anyway, I went to the doctors again. And um, that time I was, I was there for even longer. They're giving me all this medicine to try to take away the pain. And it, it turned out to be my gallbladder. But that hadn't been taken out yet. So uh, I remember the night uh, that I went to the ER, I was miserable. I was, I was in terrible shape. I was in a lot of pain. Um, Leslie's not doing super. And the next day I had to go to Billings because Leslie had an appointment. And I was like, it was like, this is the absolute worst timing ever, God. I can't believe that all this is happening at once. I mean, I don't have a problem with having a gallbladder problem. I don't have a problem with Leslie having MS because I said that a couple weeks ago. Those kinds of things happen. But the timing of it all just about killed me. And I remember uh, we, we were, I was trying to drive to, to Billings. I didn't feel good. I, I couldn't make it. Leslie had to finish driving. We, would, we went shopping. And I remember doing this all over the place. Everywhere we stopped, everywhere she stopped in the aisle, I was down on my knees because I was tired, I was sick, I was in pain. I, I couldn't barely make it. We got to the hospital uh, for her, her appointment, and I was, I was debating sleeping in the car because I was that wore out and I was that tired and I needed to sleep. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to go inside. You know, maybe there's a waiting room with the couch or a chair or something. And it, God gave me the biggest miracle of my life that I didn't ask for. I wouldn't have traded you a million dollars for it. And I didn't, it was, it was, just, it was just completely unbelievable. Um, God gave me a bed. You know, you go to the hospital, it costs a lot of money to lay down in a bed. And I didn't pay anything. 
Leslie was supposed to have some kind of eye test. And the gal says, you know what? You can go in this room. And there's this double bed. She says, there's a TV. There's a chair. Make yourself at home. And I was like this. I was like, I, I about cried there. Because I was laying on the bed. And that was what I needed more than anything in my life. Was that bed. Was that nap. And I remember trying to tell people on the way home, I'm just crying and crying. I'm in church after after listening to a song, trying to tell you this great big praise, and it's like, I'm just bawling like a baby because God was faithful to me in a way that I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't have dreamt of. I, it, it was just that miraculous to me. Can you think of something in your life that God showed himself faithful in? Now, maybe it wasn't that amazing. You might say nothing compares to, from your example versus mine, but you know what? God has, has done something in your life. Um, I mean, I hope something comes to mind. Maybe it was uh, a week ago, somebody showed up in, in the dark with a He-Man flashlight and changed your tire. You know, maybe it was God gave you the ability to do something that you couldn't do. Um, but God has done something to prove himself faithful. And I want you to try to come up with what that is. Don't forget that blessing. Don't think of it as, it's just not that big a deal. Don't buy that it was just plain luck. Oh yeah, it was just plain luck. I got a bed when I'm about to die from exhaustion. I mean, that's not plain luck. That's God. And whatever example you have, I don't want you to say, oh yeah, that's just a fluke. I want you to look and say, you know what? That was God being faithful to me when I needed it. Write it down. Review it. Uh, share it. You know, the praise and prayer time. That, that can be the most exciting part of the whole day to hear how faithful God was in your life through this past week. God was faithful before. God will be faithful again. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to, to forget those things. God was faithful in the past in Scripture. I can find confidence there. And God was faithful in my life in the past. I can find confidence there. The second thing that we can do that Habakkuk did he says, I'm going to rely on God's faithfulness from the future. I have, I have a firm foundation in God's faithfulness, and I'm going to rely on that for the future. And Habakkuk has two points, or two concluding points to this, uh, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk chapter 3, um, how about verse 16 through 18? He says, I have heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. The cray crept, crept into my bones. And my legs trembled. This is after God told him, this is what I'm going to do. It was a very scary thing for him, knowing that this nation was going to invade Judah, take them captive, or kill them, or whatever God was going to allow. And so he's afraid. But he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come uh, on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there, there, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk had to wait for what was coming. He wasn't waiting for the cavalry. He wasn't waiting for a miracle. He wasn't waiting for a rescue. He was waiting for the enemy. He wasn't going to try to drum up get all these guys on his side and say, hey, let's get prepared for these guys to come. He says, I'm just going to have to sit here and wait for this. Incredible. How could he decide to do that? It was because he knew God was faithful to what he said. So he says, I'm going to trust God for the future. Habakkuk was a patient man. 
He could have, he could have uh, been justified in, in pointing fingers and condemning and, and hating and, and taking his frustration out on everybody else. But he says, I'm going to wait patiently for the Lord. Now, I, I wish I could tell you that I was just like a vacuum. That when life stunk or when bad times came, that I was a person who says, okay, you got this. I'm just going to relax and take it easy. My, my family will tell you that I'm, I'm generally not that way. I, I, I work on the contingency plans. I get frustrated. I keep trying to weave things to make what I want to happen. That's how I roll most of the time, and it's not a good thing. You know, a huge part of my life before I got married was I was a quitter. I, I, I made it three days of football practice. My whole life I wanted to play football, and I made it three days because I got the biggest headache of my life. And I, I was like, I'm done. Okay, that's what I was like. I, I was a guy who ran away. I was a guy who, I quit jobs. I, I, anything that was too hard for me, I said, I'm out of here. I don't like this. I'm, I'm gone. After I got married, my wife wouldn't let me do that anymore. <laughs> Which was really good. You know, I got to the point where I was, I got to the point where I was determined I was going to stay. Um, I was working for a guy making dentures. And I was there for like six months. And I, I hated it beyond hating it. And I, but I told God, I'm going to stay. If you want me to leave, you're just going to have to work it out. Because I'm not quitting. I promise I'm staying. And I stayed. And then God worked it out. That's why I was able to move on and eventually end up here. But Habakkuk, he didn't just survive. You know, I, there's a difference between surviving and surviving well. Most of my life, I did not survive well. When I was working at the denture place, or I was washing windows before that, I was not a good survivor. I was the, the survivor who, like a lot of adults are, I was the whiner and the complainer. I was the guy who threw up the grown-up temper tantrums. It would be, it'd be easy to take out my frustrations on you. Uh, it would be easy to be bitter and to pout. That was me. That was, that's kind of the guy that I was. There's a big difference between surviving and surviving well. Habakkuk was the guy who said, I'm going to survive, Josh. This is how you do it, and I'm going to do it well. And as I grow and as I survive, you know, I realize I'm going to live. And my attitude improves. I'm growing in this area. I don't throw as many grown-up temper tantrums. I don't take out my frustrations on my family near, nearly like I used to. And what we're supposed to do is to wait patiently. I'm supposed to rest. I'm supposed to cease. I'm so supposed to sit down. I'm supposed to relax. That's what Habakkuk was doing. All hell was coming towards him. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to let God do what he wants to do. Waiting for the, the, the impending judgment and defeat that he knows is coming. He says, I'm, I'm going to lose everything, but I'm just going to trust you, God, to do what you want to do. You think that was easy? I, I, I'm blown away. My life is good, and I still struggle with trusting God. Can you wait patiently in your life to do what God wants you to do? Or what he wants to accomplish in your life? You know, patience is a difficult thing. It, you know, the only way to get patience is to go through those testing times, those trying times of patience. But also, um, here's this quote that I came across. It says, our joy is in proportion to our trust. Our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. The more I trust God, the more joy I'm going to have. Because I know he's in control. But the more I know about God and know God's faithfulness, the more I'm going to trust him means the more joy I'm going to have. So it all begins with, what do I know about God? What do I know about his past faithfulness? 
What do I know about his present faithfulness in my life right now? And the more I know, the more I trust, the more joy I will be able to have. That's why it's important to read this. That's why it's important to know this. Uh, even these obscure little books like Habakkuk, that, you know, most people don't read those things. You know, I, I will admit I read probably a lot more than a lot of people because I'm a pastor and I'm trying to know everything. But if I, was, if I worked in the oil field, I don't know if I would have read Habakkuk. I don't know if I would have read Zephaniah or all these things. So I, I'm not ex expecting everybody to know everything, but God's word is powerful everywhere. There are so many little nuggets that if you just keep reading it, you will see how God was faithful, and you can say, okay, I can trust God now in my life as I go. So the first thing we need to do is to wait patiently on the Lord. Not Josh's example. Take a back at the example of being patient. The second thing we need to do is to uh, rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk was a guy who, in spite of his circumstances, said, I'm going to trust God. Though, though I lose everything, though there's no sheep in the pen, though there's no, there's no produce on the, the vines, though there's absolutely nothing to be happy about or excited about, the bank account is empty, the car won't run, the dog ran away, right? I'm dealing with the health issue. I'm going to trust God anyway because my happiness does not come based off of my situation. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle on the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So for a moment, I just want you to put yourself in that situation. Not that you, you, don't, you have sheep that are, are gone or there's nothing on the vine, but I'm going to give you an example of how you can put yourself in the situation and then you're going to have to really ponder what are you going to do with verse 18. Because we all can agree and with verse 17 of saying, Oh God, where are you? Oh God, what are you doing? But the verse 18 is a little bit tougher. So this is what I put down for verse 17. I said, though Leslie has MS the rest of her life, though her MS flares up and disrupts her life, and it disrupts mine too, though she will not be able to go back and do what she used to do, I will wait, uh, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. What is your situation? Even though the bills aren't getting paid at the moment, even though the car's not running, even though X, Y, and Z, can you say, or are you willing to say, yet I will trust in you and the God of my salvation, uh, are we joyful in God my Savior? God's, in verse 19, we see God's got this. You know, God's in control. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. He's saying, I've got this. Um, and if, if I'm willing to trust God, then I'm going to be able to get through whatever this is. He's going to have renewed energy, renewed strength. Uh, we talked about last week, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll, they'll mount up on wings like eagles and fly. If, if I'm going to worry and stress, I'm going to be wore out and tired, and I'm not going to be able to handle it. But if I have hope and I have confidence, I can get through this. It's so much easier. I feel my, my spirit lifted. I feel that much happier because I'm trusting God. You have two options, defeat and despair and hopelessness or confidence and hope in God to get you through this. Our scripture reading today shares that you can have this kind of hope. That you can have this kind of peace, this kind of confidence. 
Do, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're willing to give God your worries, give God your concerns, He's going to get you through it. Does it mean your problem's going to go away immediately? No. You may still deal with your problem forever. Does it, does it mean God's going to let you know why he did what he did or why he's allowing it? I mean, because half of my life, if I just knew what God was doing or what he wanted to do, I could look back and say, okay, I got it. Now I'm okay with it because I knew what you were going to do. But God's not necessarily going to tell me why. So what am I rejoicing in? I'm, I'm rejoicing in the fact that God is my Savior, that God is going to give me eternal life, that whatever struggles I face in this life, it's only temporary compared with the eternal joy that is going to come. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is in control. He just says, trust me with it. You give me your concerns, I'll trade you. I will give you the peace that passes understanding. So there you have it. That's Habakkuk in three weeks. And what we, we, came, we came up with the first thing, the first question is, oh God, where are you? It's an easy question for everybody to ask. And God tells them uh, what he's doing. Habakkuk says, oh God, are you sure? After getting the answer, Habakkuk says, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure I want that. But he concludes with the fact of, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. You know, some of you might see yourselves in the same situation. You might be going through a time in life and you say, Oh God, I just don't understand. I just don't see you. I just don't like what you're doing. Are you sure you know what you're doing? But anybody can ask that question. The whole world out there will ask that question. Anybody who has any the foggiest hint of a God existing will cry out and say, God, what are you doing? God, this isn't fair. God, I don't like this. That's normal for us human beings. What is not normal is to say, okay, in spite of whatever's going on, God, I'm going to trust you. So I just want to encourage you this week, when you're feeling like asking God those questions, ask them. God didn't strike Habakkuk down. <laughs> he, he, he answered his questions. He let them live. But I want to encourage you to do your part, to take time and read what God says to see how he was faithful in the past. And just think back over your life and say, okay, I remember when God was faithful in my life as well. Come to the conclusion that Habakkuk did. Oh God, I will trust you. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you are a trustworthy God. God, we are fallible people who struggle with life because we don't know what you're doing. We know that you have the great big picture in mind. All we can see is just what's in front of us. And God, I, I know that you are faithful. You proved yourself over and over in what scripture says. God, I, I know in my life you've proven to me that you are faithful. Even if you don't do the next thing that I want you to do, God, I know that you are faithful to do what your plan is and what is best for me and for my good. God, I pray that we would really clearly believe that so that, God, we can have your hope, uh, that we can have the peace that passes understanding. And, God, as we struggle to, to trust you, I just pray that you would just nudge us a little bit more in that direction and to have the confidence and the peace that you want us to have. And I pray this in Jesus' name.